Good morning, good afternoon. I'm James Elliott and you're listening to Chemical Conversations by Argus Media. Today I'm joined by my colleagues, Argus Olafins experts Sarah Ray and Craig Barry. We are going to be discussing the latest developments in the Olafins market. Sarah, Craig, hello, welcome to the podcast. Glad that you could join us. First question, and I'll direct it to you first, uh, Sarah. Where do we see demand going into the end of this year for the Olafins? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? And something that I think all of the industry is 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 poised, wondering what's going to happen next. Certainly, we've seen in 2023 a real drop-off in demand, particularly uh, in the European market. Uh, but I think on a global basis, we've we've really seen poor demand through the back end of 22 and into the beginning of 23. There are some very, very slight signs of a small improvement in demand coming into the second half of the year. Um, I think uh, from a stock perspective, people have run down their stocks, particularly on the uh, uh, ethylene and ethylene derivative chain, to the extent where we're having to come back to the market. Propylene is slightly different, and I think propylene is still suffering from a couple of things. One would be the post-COVID issue. Propylene has got a higher exposure to durable goods. It's got a higher exposure to those things that people don't have to buy and bought a lot of during uh, sitting at home on the work from home policy. But also items which, from the cost of living crisis, people don't you know don't feel they can afford to buy currently and are not confident of of, of their financial positions going how going forward and even though i think in in most of the regions the employment levels have held up pretty well uh in china we're seeing some uh, some indications of uh, unpl- unemployment particularly in the youth sector and a, and a much more nervous market out there so i think going into the second half of the year for propylene we're concerned that that, uh, that pickup in demand is not really coming through. And even into next year, it, it could still be poor. So a slightly improving picture for, for ethylene um, and I think still quite a difficult picture for propylene from my perspective. Craig, what, what are your thoughts from a US perspective? Hi, Sarah. I, you know, I, I tend to agree with most everything you said. I think the US... Um, uh, you know, overall, the you know, if you look, the economy, <clears throat> excuse me, the economy has been doing a little bit better in the U.S. In addition to that, you know, the U.S. is, uh, you know, they've enjoyed a fairly competitive cost position relative to, you know, Europe and um, and Asia. So they've been they've been running harder, especially on the ethylene chain. We've seen higher operating rates, but a lot of that is translated into into inventory building, uh, especially in the second quarter. Uh, so uh, the market is really um, cautious heading into the second half of the year because I think a lot of that inventory bill was anticipation that we would see um, a demand recovery across the globe that hasn't materialized yet. So my, you know, my expectations are that we're going to see the market manage that by slowing down coming into the second half of the year. So I, I expect the second half of the year to be flat to the first half of the year. So we really won't see much of a pickup hmm. relative to 2022. I think the big questions people are starting to ask right now is, okay, are we going to see this in 2024? But when, right? Is it going to be early in 2024? Is it going to get pushed back into the second half of 2024? I think more interesting now is that we're seeing, you know, a lot of economists 
sort of revise their their uh, GDP outlooks, we're actually seeing 2023 higher than they were forecasting at the beginning of this year. So they've upped their GDP outlook, and this is even on a global basis um, higher in 2023. But I think the thing that's caught a lot of market participants by surprise is that they're now revising down 2024. So um, I think that's causing some worry, some concern that we we may see some improvement in 2024, but it's probably not going to be to the level that we were thinking earlier this year. So 2024 could be slightly better. Or it could be even flat to 2023. But in it, the benefit for ethylene, isn't it, is that actually next, we've had a lot of capacity additions over the last number of years. But for next year, there's relatively low level of new capacity coming on. So at least from that perspective for ethylene, it feels uh, like the market should start to rebalance through next year. Do you think? Yeah, and, and we're and we're seeing signs of that. If you look at, you know, especially here in the U.S., all the new plants that were scheduled or projected to come up, the last of those are working through, you know, final startup issues, and and the market is seem to be absorbing or adjusting to those. But on the other hand, propylene, you know, we've had you know a new PDA startup here uh, in the last month or two uh and you know, maybe I, i'll say a pdh and a half because we had a small startup <laughs> as well and you know even with some operational issues that we've been experiencing with pdhs over the last three or four weeks we really haven't seen any sort of price response so i, I think that reflects what you're saying sarah which is that propylene is in really in a different situation um we're just not seeing the demand growth because a lot of that goes into the durable, durable goods market and and I think people are still working off of uh, not just inventories, but just, you know, people bought a lot of that stuff during COVID. And it's just not the, the demand in the market for as many durable goods as there are for consumer goods that that are more reflective of, of, of the ethylene value chain. Sarah, earlier in your answer, you mentioned China. What are your thoughts on the demand situation in China through to the end of the year? Will the stimulus measures which are coming help boost demand? And what would be the implications for the global markets if we do see a pickup in Chinese offtake? Well, China's key to the whole petrochemicals market. It's it's something like 30% of, of total consumption and total production, if not more, on some of the products. So what happens in China, we, we feel everywhere. Um, I think it's difficult to see a real bounce in demand. I know the Chinese government is still suggesting a, a GDP growth this year of, I think, over 5%, 5.6 is a number in my head. Um, uh, but I don't think we really see that. And it, it feels pretty flat um, in terms of, of demand. I mean, as I said, there's higher uh, youth unemployment. Uh, we're seeing people acting in a cautious way. So rather save money. I think the personal savings levels in China have gone up. And as yet, you know, China hasn't done as much as it probably needs to to address the reliance on the, the real estate sector. Uh, so people seeing the value of their assets going down or certainly stagnating rather than escalating as they have done for the last X number of years. So very much a situation which I think we see China sort of moving moving sideways and trying to stop, trying to stop anything sort of in, in fact, a shrinking situation. The other thing about China, of course, is their population profile is changing. So you've got a population which actually now is aging. 
and is has actually got smaller uh, in the last year compared to the year before, which is a phenomena which, you know, older people buy less things. A lot of the products that we we we're involved with are sort of um, uh, linked to population population growth and to a sort of growing middle class, and a lot of that happens uh, in the younger sector when you're you know, first getting it together and setting up home and 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 having kids. Uh, so yeah, I think it's um it's quite a, a quite a sort of um I'd say a uh, concerning picture out in China. Yeah, Craig, how how do you see it? Yeah, and what I would add too, and I'll take you know somewhat of a shorter term view. You know, if you look at you know um, the petrochemical industry, usually the you know the higher demand seasonal demand quarters are usually second and third quarter and you know those are already kind of baked in if I could use that terminology so I, I wouldn't expect a significant pickup in demand in China because you know if you look at I'll just say like North America the U.S. you know our, our big spending and demand season is usually as we get into the holiday season so China would have had to buy raw materials produce those products and starting to get those on you know on container ships headed to the U.S. And so, you know, here we are, you know, near September 1st, and we haven't seen really a meaningful pickup in China. So I don't expect we'll see that in the fourth quarter because those two strong quarters of demand that are typically seasonal uh, high demand seasons, which is second and third quarter, we just haven't seen that yet. So I, I think anyone looking for China to see a meaningful pickup in the remaining parts of 2023 are probably going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. uh, I think China is going to try to work through some things, some reforms and put things in place. But I think that's more for the long term and more heading into 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 next year in 2025. I agree with that. Yeah. That's China. What are the other risk factors that could change the picture? Um, you know, for me, I think cost is a big one. I think we're we're starting to see, you know, if you go back, let's start with OPEC. I think they've really have hung in together uh, with their um cuts um you know saudi arabia was originally going to maybe revisit their cuts in september they've extended those going into october so you're seeing a lot of um, forecasters moving their crude forecast higher i think we saw a pretty significant jump up in crude here in the last in in the in the near term i think it was from july to august we saw crude go up ten dollars we could see another leg up going into next year um another you know Continuing on that theme of cost, um, the Australia LNG industry is is looking at a potential strike. Um, sometime it's, I think it's September seventh is their is their actual deadline. Um, that would obviously raise the cost for natural gas in in consumers and power generation, and also for industrial users of gas. So that that would be a negative headwind for for demand, and that would be more than likely a, a short term headwind on cost, but you know, we're headed into the heating seasons going into fourth quarter. So you really don't want to see supply for LNG possibly being curtailed going into that into that into that season. So that's the risk we could see. Um, the other one which I think is not maybe as material as what we saw coming out of COVID is we're still hearing a lot of things about the Panama Canal, right? With uh, the drought conditions and just ships being able to move through there. I think that one's probably not going to be as big as it was in the past, but it's just something else to kind of keep your eye on. It's going to probably have some impact, but 
probably more minor than what we what we saw in the past. Craig, I think you're right to, to highlight the issues around potential headwinds with higher costs. I mean, as you say, we're certainly seeing a higher forecasts on the crude front. You know, although it's artificially controlled because it's controlled by um, s- supply. I mean, I think the Argus view is is actually there's enough oil out there if if the guys extract it, but if they're not going to extract it, then yeah, that that's definitely one. The LNG really highlights, I think, Europe's vulnerability now to these these longer supply chains for its energy. I mean, having shifted away from from Russian supply, um, Europe's now very dependent on on these international supply routes, be it from Australia or North Africa or the US. And yeah, the US can't really step up to completely close any gaps that Australia might might open up through a strike. So yeah, coming into the heating season, that's a concern. I think sort of longer term as well. Um, so I think l- longer term as well, you know, so you, 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 from a European perspective, particularly if if the downturn lasts for, for an extended period, uh, will all of the, you know, will all of the producers be able to, to, to weather the storm? Um, and I think that's a concern probably in the longer term. Challenging demand situation, higher costs. What is the impact on the drive for sustainability from this? Sarah? So, so yeah, I mean, Europe obviously has been sort of leading the charge in terms of sustainability. Although, having said that, when you look around the world, there's lots and lots of projects because the brand owners want to be able to offer these products in all of the regions. So, you're still still seeing plenty of projects out there. We're seeing uh, lots of producers producers integrating downstream into into recycling companies to secure that route to market. And we're seeing lots and lots of projects to uh, to, to create sort of a, a greener footprint in terms of feedstocks um, or, or routes to, to produce ethylene and propylene. Um, in Europe, we've got a project um, for new uh, ethylene capacity that's from ethanol. It's relatively small at the moment, but it's maybe a sign of what's to come. But the issue for all of these projects is is really the amount of money that you know the, the producers have to invest to, to 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 bring them to market. And at the end of the day, is the consumer going to be willing to pay? So, I think there's something like 17 million tons of pledges out there in terms of marketable product that uh, producers have said we're going to produce this and it's going to be available uh, the the issue is marketable doesn't necessarily mean that they'll make it because you know it has to be bought by somebody and consumers at the end of the day are the guys who are going to have to step up and pay some additional cost i think from a european perspective um there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure for the governments to stand, to step up and create some sort of carbon border. Uh, but as yet, that hasn't happened for the pet chems. It's happened for and is on the list for things like steel and cement and other energy intensive products. But um, pet chems didn't make it onto that final list um, in the last round of legislation from the EU. How about in the US, Craig? Um, I, I would say in the US, there's, you know, there's a lot of like, a lot of projects being discussed and and developed. You know, there's I, I think there's some headwinds, but also some tailwinds. So it's a little bit of a mixed story, right? I think for project developers um, who are already you know um, further along in their projects, maybe looking to get financing. You know, obviously these higher interest rates that we're seeing today 
is a bigger challenge for some of those projects. I think as they were, you know, conceived and conceptualized, you know, they were probably anticipating a lower interest rate environment. So the project financing costs are, are drag and we're starting to see some some project um, developers and owners discuss that as they report some of their earnings that some of the ESG projects are are being a little bit you know disappointing. They're not meeting some of their um, financial targets. I don't think that is changing the commitment or direction of of of, of industry and and and, the, and policymakers to to go forward with this. But I think short term people are going to have to adjust their expectations, maybe delay some of the projects. But I mentioned a tailwind. I think the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed last year by uh, the Biden administration, you see that being quoted a lot as um, help being helpful for a lot of projects. The government's going to step in and provide a lot of incentives, tax breaks, and other things to to help drive some of the projects and initiatives that are out there. I think more specifically, as you look at as you look at our industry, and I see it kind of as a tale of two worlds, smaller, maybe not as well financed, maybe not as many capabilities internally, project developers may be at risk of either falling off or maybe pushing out their projects. If you turn to um, big players like ExxonMobil and Dow Chemical, they've all announced either it's hydrogen or in the case of you know Dow recently, they announced an ethanol project as well. Um, I think those are going to stay closer to schedule. You know, Dow also mentioned, you know, some people may debate how green this is or sustainable, but it is sustainable, you know, that they're going to build a small modular nuclear reactor at one of their sites here in Texas, and they're going to start construction in 2025. So, you know, that's a big step, especially for the U.S., for someone to build, especially in our industry, to, to look to build a nuclear reactor to provide all the heat and electricity for you know for a petrochemical complex so that, that's a that's a big marker for someone to do that and i think staying with dow as well when you hear them talk about their net zero carbon project up in canada you know all indications are that that project's still a go and still you know making progress and i think dow will make a you know fid decision on that at the end of this year or early next year so it's kind of some things are going forward some things are being you know revisited but i think overall uh, given the environment, not not any real surprise. No, and I think I mean I think you're right. You look at projects over in Europe. The Ineos project one is moving forward, albeit with with some 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 headwinds against it. Um, you know the 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 the, the Wilton uh, Sabic project, which is going to become a completely ethanol um, ethane based. Uh, cracker, but with hydrogen as 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 feed uh, for energy is is an interesting one as well. That would be one of the greenest crackers globally. So, yeah, a huge amount of investment across the piece. So I th I think as you say, the direction of travel is clear. Yeah, fascinating stuff. We're in for an interesting end of the year. Sarah, Craig, thanks for your insights. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Argus Chemicals Conversation podcast. To find out more information about the Argus Olefins Outlook service, visit www.argusmedia.com forward slash chemical outlooks. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>